Welcome back, everybody, to Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast, part of the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how you doing tonight? Doing good. You know, family's in town. I know I've talked to you about that off air. Parents making the rare appearance up here and everything. But uh, tonight's exciting. You know, it's a li- feels it feels the same, but also a little different. Uh, it's just an exciting podcast to hear episode 18 for us, technically. Yeah, episode 18, but the first one as a part of the built-in Buffalo Podcast Network, as we are now going to be uploading on Monday mornings. And, you know, for those of you out there that haven't had a chance to listen to Bill's chat, whether you hadn't heard of us or didn't know we existed, if you're just a built-in Buffalo Podcast Network subscriber, and this is your first time trying us out, first of all, thank you. We very much appreciate it. Luca and I thought it might be good just to kind of give you a very quick background on who we are and what the essence of our show is. Luke and I are essentially two Bills fans that spent the better part of the last few years chatting daily with a group of Bills fans in what we called Bills chat. It was a discord chat where we would message each other like, hey, the Bills just got Stefan Diggs or oh my God, Josh Allen couldn't get a yard against Tennessee. All those conversations you're having with your friends about the Bills, we were having in a messenger chat. And one day Lucas said, you know, Josh, the way we talk about the Bills, the way we talk about this team on a daily basis There are so many Bills fans out there that have these exact same situations. And Luca, a light bulb went off in your head like, hey, we should make this a podcast. Yeah, it it was kind of like we we also had other previous experience of just doing fun things with friends live on air, whether it was, you know, covering Madden leagues, you know, online connected franchises, stuff of that nature, where we had a lot of fun doing that. Then, as you said, our dialogue daily in our discord. You know, it was a good time. And it right as you it really was exactly how you put it. It was perfect. You know, a light bulb went off like, hey, Josh, why don't we just do something different with this hobby and actually turn it into some fun conversation weekend, you know, week in, week out. Let's talk some bills. Let's do this. And, you know, let's share our thoughts with a wider audience. And, you know, things have been going great so far. And I just, you know, we always get excited for the following week and the, you know, the next week, what has to come and what we can talk about, because we're just so invested in this team and everything about it, that it's just exciting to sit down and record and talk. Because the other thing too is, and I know we're going to do this going forward, you know, even tonight, you know, we like our live reactions recorded and stuff. It's fun. It It's organic. And, um, it's it's fun every week to just sit down, record and let everyone else enjoy what we have to talk about and just make it, you know, a fun fan kind of experience and everyone can relate to hopefully. Yeah, it's a fun exercise. I enjoy it and I hope you out there listening will enjoy it too. And let's hop into it, Luca. We had some Bills news break on Sunday as fullback slash tight end slash do everything special teamer Reggie Gilliam has agreed to a two-year, $5.2 million deal. Now, the wording in that press release is important. Um, $5.2 million is up to, so I'm sure that came from the agent. There's got to be some incentives in there. But anyway, Luca, I love this about sports. A guy like Reggie Gilliam, who two years ago was an undrafted free agent, showed up to Bill's training camp as a relative unknown, fought his way onto the roster, and immediately in 2020 was active for 14 games as an undrafted free agent because of how valuable he was on special teams. And then in 2021 was active every game as a starting fullback slash tight end slash special teamer for somebody like that to go from relative unknown undrafted free agent camp body to now signing a seven figure deal. It's one of my favorite things about sports. 
it kind of is like um you know those reaction videos in college where a walk-on finally gets their scholarship and it's a big deal the entire team can embrace it i feel like that's the kind of reaction you see with something like this it's a relative unknown as you said someone that you you know let's say you know in uh, off season you have no idea about and you have no expectation about and somehow he's just grinded out made it work made his value known wherever he can get a roster spot and he's been rewarded because of it and it's fantastic to see you, you it's hard not to root for people like that and then also players like him and himself as you said fullback slash tight end the versatility it makes that money which seems minor to the rest of us on a cap great for him and great for the team to wrap up someone that can do a lot of different things for us and is still valuable with special teams as well it's just it's a wonderful thing it's fantastic going you know we're now in 2022 and as you said in 2020 he 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 probably didn't even have an envision of making an NFL roster. Like there was, there was no thought about that in his head. And now he signed something of upwards to $5.2 million, just life-changing stuff for him. And it's, it's great to see, as you said, super happy for Reggie Gilliam. He's going to be in the fold for at least the next two years. And Luca, let's talk about what we have going on tonight as we are going to be getting ready for the bills. First preseason game coming up on Saturday afternoon at home at Highmark stadium against the Indianapolis Colts. And we thought it would be a good exercise tonight just to, now that we are two weeks into training camp, basically go through each position group on the roster, talk about what our observations have been of that position group through training camp reports, what happened at the red and blue scrimmage on Friday, and then also talk about with the preseason coming up, what we would do if we had the ability to talk to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean about who should play in this game and who should be wrapped in bubble wrap, kept healthy, and get ready for the regular season. We're going to go through each position. I'm super excited about that. But first, let's kick it around the league. There were some stories that were relevant to our AFC East rivals this week as Miami was stripped of their first round pick in 2023 and their third round pick in 2024 for allegations of tampering with Tom Brady. The story goes that even though Tom Brady was under contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and at one point this offseason alluded to retiring, that Miami had been in talks with him to become a part owner of the Miami Dolphins. Then Miami would go out and hire Sean Payton to be their next head coach. And then part owner Tom Brady would come out of retirement and play football for the Dolphins. That obviously never happened. And Miami got caught red-handed and they lost a first round pick in 2023 and a third round pick in 2024. That first round pick in 2023 is very important, Luca, because if um, Tua does not work out for Miami this year, that is very important ammunition that they could be using on their future quarterbacks. Speaking of AFC's quarterbacks, bad reports on Mac Jones out of Patriots camp. Mike Girardi of NFL Network says that he has been super inconsistent, not just Mac Jones, the entire offense. And he had four interceptions during an 11 on 11 period on Sunday. Just not what you want to see out of your second year quarterback. We'll see what that amounts to. It is just training camp. It is just practice, but certainly noteworthy. And then the Jets, we mentioned it when we went around and talked about our division rivals on our Rivals Watch series, that one weakness on the Jets was they needed that swing depth tackle. They're very set at starter with George Fan at left tackle and Mekhi Becton at right tackle. But Makai Becton has been an inconsistent personality since being in the league. He was very solid his rookie year, but then he had some weight issues and he couldn't stay healthy last year. 
And if Makai Becton is unable to stay on the field for 17 games, the depth on the Jets roster just is not there. Former Bill Connor McDermott is actually their current swing tackle. And if we're being honest about George Fant, he played excellent for them last year at left tackle, but that really was a one-year sample size. So Luca, I think insulating themselves with Dwayne Brown makes a lot of sense. I think this is something that gets done. He was a solid starter for Seattle last year. He is 36 years old. He's not the Dwayne Brown we knew from four years ago. Um, But added to the mix in New York, this makes a lot of sense. Anything stick out to you about the Bills division rivals? Um, The Miami stuff is a little funny to me. I mean, it's just... it's almost like they take one step forward. You know, things were starting to turn around. It looked like in camp, you could see their videos posted and, you know, they're trying to highlight Tua. he looked like he did make a few good throws, a lot of nice deep throws, stuff of that nature. And then all of a sudden, boom, they come out with that news about Miami. Hey, we're stripping away a first and a future third, all this fun stuff. By the way, this is what you were doing wrong. And it's just a ridiculous story. Just, just, ah, I don't get it. Um, the Patriots stuff, as you highlighted, it's just preseason. Something to note. It's preseason, though. People like I've I've seen a lot of people on Twitter just kind of like this is Mac Jones. It's going to be a massively down year. This is what we expected out of him. And we we can't believe how things were in his first year. Like also remember the other side of that coin is you, you know, you have Mr. August. I think it was you yourself from your own account who tweeted out Mr. August, also known as Nathan Peterman. Never forget dude looked like a stud every camp you know every preseason it was like this this is gonna be our week one starter right week one qb1 nathan peterman and we all know the story with him so it's preseason like yes not great for him the the look is not good for the patriots but uh, let's see when you know real football games come around but everything you talked about with the jets um i think i think the Dwayne brown visiting and hope you know for jets fans maybe hopeful eventual signing could be a big thing and great depth for them because as we highlighted in a previous episode of ours, yeah, that is definitely one hole or question place they have. And that's a great, you know, great body to put into that position if needed, you know, a real, at least someone you could maybe lean on a little bit to get you by and, and hopefully progress, you know, Zach Wilson and that offense in the step you know, forward, right? You you want them to do things positively last year. I mean, it's, it's hard for Zach Wilson to do a lot worse than last season, unfortunately for him. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you just want to see improvement. You want to see them make a step forward, get things going. You know, if you're a Jets fan, let's keep prefacing that. And if there's, you know, instability at the tackle position somewhere, you want to bring in a, a replacement, someone, you know, different that can hopefully just kind of, ease the ship and you know get things back on track and just kind of hopefully let zach wilson develop the way they want him to at least you know make sure he's not gun shy and not looking over his shoulder or anything of that you know hearing footsteps please you know just let him be able to be comfortable and try to run the offense much better than last season in his development so overall you know they're all things to note. it's funny to laugh at miami a little bit you know, the Patriots are the Patriots and, you know, Mac Jones is struggling in camp, but they don't have an OC. We talked about it, you know, uh, last episode or two episodes ago. I can't remember. Um, but um, what else do you expect? It's just preseason, though. And then uh, the Jets, it's it's interesting to see a bad team like the Jets, you know, where, oh, no, maybe one of these tackles isn't going to work out. What are we going to do? Well, it seems like they're already trying to, you know, take precautions and get something in the door that may be able to help get around that issue before it really develops and creates a massive problem. So 
overall, all good notes, but uh, I, I don't think we need to spend more time on that. One thing we should spend some time on, though, is the Bills' week one opponent, the defending Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams. Some interesting news coming out this week from head coach Sean McVay related to an elbow injury for starting quarterback Matthew Stafford. Um, he has been throwing in practice, but not in a bunch of team drills. Stafford spoke to the media this week and downplayed it. He seems to be fine, Luca, as far as his availability for week one. And this is an injury that is more associated with baseball pitchers versus football quarterbacks. I would not, if you're the type of person that wants the starting quarterback of the other team to be out for a game against your team so the game's easier, I would not get your hopes up in that scenario that Matthew Stafford's not going to be able to play. To me, Luca, the biggest story here about Matthew Stafford is when you start hearing things like this related to arm issues and unique injuries, you really wonder, is this him on the back nine of his career, maybe having like a Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning type scenario where he starts to lose his fastball a little bit. Yeah, it might not be as rapid of a decline as Big Ben for one person to relate to, but it's it's something right future long term. Is this going to be something that eventually Stafford can't, you know, he can't get it 50 yards down the field anymore with as much zip as he used to be able to things of that nature, right? It's he's been throwing the ball. He's been one of the hardest throwers of a football in this league for such a long time. And it may have been overlooked by a lot of, because obviously majority of his career has been in Detroit and no one's really paying attention to Detroit for many good reasons. Um, but he's been throwing that pigskin so hard that eventually the human body is just going to start to deteriorate. And is maybe this the first sign of that? Maybe he just can't spin it as good as he used to be. Like it just can't fly off his hand as hard, you know, things of that nature. Right. As you put, it was perfect. This isn't going to be a situation where we're like, oh, is he not going to start week one? No, he's going to be starting week one. It's just maybe McVeigh in that, you know, and that entire coaching staff is evaluating the situation, noticing that it's not popping off his hand as hard in and fast or things of that nature and being like, maybe we got to remove these 10 plays out of the playbook. Maybe we can't have him, you know, rolling out to the right and looking at someone that's, you know, running a deep cross on the left side of the field, completely out there, 40 yards down. Like maybe those crazy things can't be happening anymore for him because he just is not going to be able to get it there in time anymore those are very special plays that only certain few number of people can make in the first place. But maybe that's where we're finding it now. And then as you pointed out, is it going to go down the road of Philip Rivers and um, what you call it? Big Ben and all of that. So that eventually it's just going to be kind of, you don't run the offense through Stafford anymore. Stafford is just operating the offense as best as he can. And you're just trying to maximize what he can do. I don't believe that to be anything of concern this season. It's just interesting how it almost developed seemingly out of nowhere. I believe McVay even brought this point up kind of um, unprovoked. It was just like, oh, yeah, no, Stafford's dealing with an elbow injury, just throwing some practice, not a ton, blah, 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 like nothing to be too, too concerned about. And it's like, wait, I mean, where did this start? Where did it come from? Why, why is this something that we're really learning of? You know, I, I'm assuming someone just asked why is Stafford not doing as many reps as you would expect? Maybe I, I don't remember the full story of why this came out, but it's something to man right for it's something to project for Stafford's career now, rather than something to look at for week one or week, you know, 
is he even going to be able to last the season? Like he'll probably be able to last the season. You would think unless this is much worse than McVay makes it sound, but this is something to monitor for more of his career sake. And how many more years does he have left in the tank? Yeah, it sounds like Stafford's going to be available for week one, barring some sort of a setback here with this injury. But one Rams player that may not be available week one is wide receiver Van Jefferson. He did have a minor knee surgery and his week one status is in doubt. And the biggest NFL news this week is Deshaun Watson has officially been suspended six games, but Roger Goodell is appealing that the story goes that Roger Goodell is trying to push for a minimum of one year suspension to maybe an indefinite suspension. That's all we have right now. We should find out more this week where that goes. It could be a situation where he gets suspended for a year and then Deshaun Watson's side in the NFLPA appeal. So this, this seems to me like it's far, far, far from over. And we will keep our ear to the ground on that story as it is important to keep in mind from a Bills standpoint, speaking just of football, the Bills are the Browns' 10th game. So if a suspension for Watson does exceed 10 games, then he would miss that Bills game. All right, Luke, let's get into what we are here for tonight. It is time to get ready for preseason game number one against the Indianapolis Colts. And the way we are going to be doing that is we're going to go through each of the position groups on the roster, talk about what we have seen from various training camp reports and who in that position group we think should play and who should sit in these preseason games. Just for some perspective on last year's preseason, Josh Allen was only active for one of the three games and he played three total drives. Diggs was not active for any of the games. And just for some rookie perspective, Greg Rousseau was active in all three games. So keep that in the back of your mind. Maybe that's a clue to how Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are going to handle some various key players on this roster. All right, Luca, let's start with quarterback. So far, the reports out of camp. Well, Josh Allen's excellent. This just in. He's a great player. The offensive line in front of him has been kind of a mess. We'll get to that. But uh, behind Josh Allen, one guy we were kind of excited about was Case Keenum. When the Bills traded for him, we thought they had shored up their veteran backup quarterback position. And reports on Keenum has been that he has been shaky and his passes, he's been erratic. He's been turning the ball over and it's hard to tell if people just think he's erratic because he's standing next to arguably the best quarterback in the NFL or is Keenum potentially falling off and not going to be that reliable, steady hand that we expected him to be when the Bills made that trade for him. It's important to know that a team like the Bills If you lose your starting quarterback, Josh Allen, for a handful of games, you just need your backup quarterback to come in, steady the ship, and win one game out of every two two attempts. So go 500. And that was the thought with Case Keenum. Luca, are you concerned at this point with some of the reports coming out about Case Keenum? Not really. Um, It's something to observe. Like, basically it doesn't sound like anything makes it seem that Keenum has the sky falling on him. And all of a sudden he has just plummeted. He's big Ben now and can't throw past five yards, anything like that, where it's like, Oh wow. No, he actually can barely be a quarterback in the league of any capacity. I just think, I do think there is a part of it that is, Hey, look, you have QB one in the NFL right next to him running the offense. And then all of a sudden you have to watch someone that, you know, game manager has a bad, you know, st- it makes you think of the wrong thing, but in reality, that is kind of what Keenum is. And that's why he would be a reliable veterans, you know, backup. I, 
that's okay. And it's not supposed to wow you. And at the same time, yes, there have also been bad moments on top of that where it's like, oh, wow, you know, these clips that come out that make it be like, oh, this it doesn't look that pretty and it's not that good or it's just quite honestly bad. It's a backup quarterback in the NFL. Like if you are quarterback 33 in the NFL, you're probably going to make mistakes at a somewhat regular occurrence. Like that's going to happen. There's a reason you're not starting in the NFL. There's a reason you're looked at as hopefully a top 10 backup or of that variety, right? You're not going to ever want to be someone that's you could honestly put out there on the field one to week 18 and just be like, yeah, no, this guy could get us, you know, sneaking into the playoffs at 10 and seven or whatever it is. Cause as you said, a backup, hopefully they go 500. If they're, if you're starting quarterbacks out, hopefully they can win one in every two. If it's four, you know, win two of them and that's okay. Cause then, you know, in our case, Allen comes back and he should hopefully get the offense back into its well-oiled machine status and just get the train rolling kind of deal. So I, I'm not overly concerned with it. In all reality, I would hope to never have to deal with Case Keenum on the field. It's like, yes, he might be shaky, but he's a veteran in the league. Like, what more can you ask than someone that can at least be calming when called upon in obviously most likely very dire situations, whether especially if it's live in game, like if, if we're talking like mid third quarter, all of a sudden Allen just needs to come out because he needs to be evaluated for a concussion or a minor injury, whatever the certain, you know, whatever the situation may be. Keenum's going to go in there and he's just going to kind of steady things, you know, make everyone relax, feel okay, and just try to do the best he can in that crazy situation when all eyes are on him and on the bills and being like, oh no, what is supposed to happen? Like, at least he's a veteran in the league. Like you'd much rather him than say a two year, you know, player where this is probably their first look in the league. Like that is not a comfortable situation. Keenum is kind of the, you know what you're getting out of him situation. And there's a, a nice cozy blanket feeling with that. It's like, you know what you're going to get. Hopefully it's not going to be anything spectacular, but hopefully it's just enough to get you by and move forward and make sure the entire train's not off the rails before it really got rolling. So he's never supposed to be out there. Yes. He may look shaky now, but he's trying to just warm up with, you know, limited snaps and probably an even worse offensive line and worse weapons around him and things of that nature, where it's like, it, in reality, he's going to have, if he's ever out on the field, you would hope he has a fully healthy offensive line. He's got all the best weapons he possibly can to then just run the offense as best as he can. It's He's not going to be Allen out there. I hope no one expects him to be. And uh, yeah, like whatever. Like to me, it's it's kind of like a, oh, he's shaky, whatever. Like like that's kind of how I look at it. It's like not a big deal, people. Like it's it's okay. It's very, very okay. I think context is important here too, because we're so used to the continuity on this team. Even Ken Dorsey, the new offensive coordinator was the passing game coordinator last season. So a lot of the verbiage and scheme carries over for guys like Allen and Diggs and Davis and Dawkins and Morse and so on. A guy like Keenum is coming to this brand new throwing the new weapons and the trickle down effect with the offensive line injuries is a lot of the guys that would be on that number two offense are now being elevated to the number one offense so he's playing with third string offensive linemen trying to block a defensive line with guys like AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Tim Settle, and uh, Jordan Phillips. These are guys that could start in the NFL for a number of teams. So I think there's a lot of reasons that you could understand why Case Keenan would be off to a slow start. 
Let's talk about the preseason game, Luca. In my opinion, Josh Allen should not touch this game with a 10-foot pole, put him in street clothes. He'll be nice and comfy on the sideline. I don't necessarily need to see Case Keenum too much. I think he's also too valuable to this team for what he needs to be in case something does happen to Allen. Give me two, three drives of Case Keenum, and let's make it the Matt Barkley show. What would you do with quarterback in game number one? Yeah, first and foremost, if you do not have a fully healthy offensive line, and I mean all hands on deck, everyone is available, and you are putting out the best five you can, Allen should not be wearing pads. Period. End of story. Don't care. Nothing should happen to him. And even if they are fully healthy, I'm very okay with not seeing one play out of him. Is is that really going to happen probably not like you would maybe game three they'll have him out there for a drive just to kind of shake off some rust of a game you know situation and feel so be it i personally don't care i don't believe in you need to play and get some game action whatever all that nonsense yeah i'm with you on that i'd be very okay if he's in street clothes all three games case keenum um he is important obviously we discussed every kind of everything right there i I'm indifferent on it. Like, yeah, you don't need to play him a lot, especially like early on and stuff. Like maybe the situation would be, this is kind of how I picture it, you know, game one. Yeah. Two, three drives, kind of get comfortable, get your feet wet, see what you're doing. Hopefully he doesn't look really God awful in that situation. And then right. Matt Barkley, you know, have fun with three, you know, quarters of football week two, probably the same damn thing. Week three preseason. Obviously I'm talking, um, maybe Keenum run a quarter and a half, you know, a quarter to a half. We'll call it actually. Maybe he runs that after one Allen drive. If you have everyone fully healthy and you just want to see what the, you know, you're not showing anything offensively. You just want to see them out there and get them, you know, get them to take a hit, not Allen, but everyone else, that whole thing. Right. Again, I don't care. Me personally, Allen should not step on the field with pads ever in the preseason, but. You do that, you give Keenum till half, and then Barkley out there the rest of the way. I'm okay with that. Like Keenum kind of, that's the only situation realistically that he won't be just thrusted into to get some game action. Because any other time, that's kind of going to what it feels like to be a backup in the NFL. So I'm okay with him seeing a little bit more than just two, three drives here and there. But overall, I mean, at the same time, two, three drives, depending on the game, could be an entire half of football too. So yeah, I'm, I guess I'm in agreement. I guess I, but at the same time, it's like I don't look at it so bluntly. It's like, hey, you're on two drives. That's it. Whatever. It's like, here's a half of football. If we get four drives, so be it. You get those four drives. If we get two drives, you got two drives, whatever it may be. And then, yeah, majority of the snaps in the entirety of the preseason should be Matt Barkley. And we can all have fun just watching that smile go out there and play the, the only football he will most likely play in this upcoming season. Yeah, you would hope so. Um, so for the context of the conversation tonight, just to kind of keep it simple, I was mainly thinking of how would we approach this Indianapolis game? Because I do agree as preseason goes on, I think Keenan will need to play more significant snaps and probably ramp up to more than a half. So for the conversation tonight, let's just focus on the approach with the very first game against the Colts. And let's talk about running backs because we all know how strong Devin Singletary finished last year. We all know what we think James um, Cook is going to provide for this offense in the passing game as a movable chess piece weapon. One guy that's kind of been forgotten about is Zach Moss, had a strong finish to 2020, got hurt in the playoff game against the Colts, had a really down year in 2021. But Luca, what I am seeing out of a bunch of training camp reports is 
Zach Moss is working a lot with the ones. He got some work in goal line in the red and blue scrimmage. He was out there with Josh Allen a lot. I believe Devin Singletary only had one carry on the night, and it was actually an explosive run. But outside of that, you have Taiwan Jones, who's primarily a special teamer, and um, Duke Johnson, who was brought in in the spring as a free agent. So when you look at this running back situation, Luca, are you surprised that Zach Moss is remaining relevant within the conversation? I'm definitely a little surprised. You know, I didn't see it coming. It really felt like after last season, it just he wasn't the kind of guy that was going to then all of a sudden have a magical bounce back and really, you know, start to fulfill the role that was what we thought he could have been near 2020 more. Um, It's. It's kind of an interesting situation now where it's creating this, you know, running back room where we were sitting here, you know, a couple months ago thinking, okay, it's going to be Singletary, it's going to be Cook, it's going to be Duke Johnson and Taiwan Jones for his special teams ability. Well, if Moss is really seeing a lot of first team and is actually impressing the coaching staff and everything of that variety, well, now you're creating a schism of, uh, okay, like, okay, Singletary, Moss, uh, Cook, and uh, Duke Johnson, right? They all kind of have their own niche, although Cook and Duke Johnson similar, except Cook is way more explosive and essentially, as we saw before, had even wide receiver workout time. So those four can do things, but are you really going to roster four running backs? Probably not. So there's a real competition there. Taiwan Jones, in a weird way, like, other than Cook and Singletary for the obvious reasons of being safe, Taiwan Jones is safe only because he is massive for special teams. I don't know. Really, oh, he's a lock. Yeah, like he is like I don't worry about him, even though he's a running back on the roster. It's like, no, you are special teams. You do a mm-hmm. phenomenal job at that. You're a lock. We don't care how your running back looks. Well, so the other four are kind of competing, competing for what I, I believe both of us think to be three spots. And it just has created this competition that I would say two months ago, I didn't think was really going to be a competition. I thought Moss was unfortunately going to find himself being the odd man out. It just wasn't working out, you know, last season and then would continue on that trend this year. But maybe there's something there and options are not a bad thing. It's just I don't like having question marks at the same time. It's like I'm I'm more of a I would rather be comfortable with skill positions and be comfortable with what we have and just be confident that this is the room we're going to go with going forward instead of worrying about, well, if we keep Moss and cut Duke Johnson, it seems like we're going more down this path. But if we cut Moss and we keep Duke Johnson, then we're going to go down, you know, that path or whatever it may be. Like, I don't, I don't want them to have to worry about that kind of situation. I'm not saying that's necessarily a horrible thing. It's just, I thought this was something that was not going to be a problem. And now all of a sudden it is, it's definitely something of debate. I think the staff clearly has shown that he has looked great. He's getting a lot of work with the ones. This is hopefully going to be him bouncing back. But now what do we do? Because you're not rostering four running backs plus a running back that then it does special teams work like that's not going to happen. So I'm definitely intrigued to see where this goes. I just hope whatever decision they make between uh, Moss and Johnson does come down to who the better football player is. We know Brandon Bean does not want to give up on his draft picks. He's had some success with being patient with guys that at some point in time, fans were ready to give up on. Nobody will admit it now, but there was a large portion of the fan base that after year two had seen enough of Dawson Knox. And now he is a shining star on this offense. Uh, We saw them be patient, not a draft pick, but a guy they traded for with Ryan Bates 
and it paid off big time last year. We've seen the other side where they keep giving shots to a guy like Cody Ford, who we're going to talk about here in a bit. And every time they put him out there, he lets them down. So if Zach Moss is truly better than Duke Johnson, then give him a spot on the team. We'll see what happens. Um, I don't want it to be a situation, though, where Duke Johnson has to be head and shoulders better than Zach Moss to bump him off the roster because of the fact that Zach Moss has that draft draft capital investment in him. Duke Johnson was secretly pretty good last year for Miami, who had a really, really bad offensive line. I have a really quick theory, though, on James Cook. Luke, I want to run past you. I, when they drafted James Cook, was super excited about the way they were going to use him. I thought he was going to be a focal point of their offense, and I still think all of that is going to be true in time. But I've started to develop this theory just based on the trends with the Bills, how they've treated rookies, and then with what I think might be the smart approach for this team. I don't know that in September, October, and even November, we're going to see the James Cook experience really unleashed, barring an injury to say like Singletary and Moss, and then Cook has to get out there. One, we know the Bills don't like to force their rookies out there if they don't have to. Trey White was kind of the exception. Uh, Greg Rousseau was out there a lot because he was part of a rotation, but for the most part, they like to ease their rookies in. So I don't see a situation where James Cook's going to be out there for 60 to 70% of the offensive snaps anyway. Second, I feel like what they can do with James Cook is a counterpunch offensive game plan. And what I mean by that is if you're having a day where, say, your passes to Diggs and Davis aren't working or Singletary is having a hard time in the offensive passing game or in the running game, you throw James Cook out there, throw him in the slot, get him matched up on a linebacker, create some plays for him, get him the ball in space. The team's not expecting it. And boom, I think James Cook is the kind of player that I don't know that you want to give teams exposure to what you want to do with him over a 17 game season. So by the time you get to the playoffs, they know how to game plan for him. One other thing, the rookie wall is real. And the thing with running backs is if you're going to give James Cook three to 400 touches, which is never going to happen in the regular season this year, in the regular season, by the time you get to the playoffs, the money games in January, he's going to be gassed. I think James Cook is setting up to be, especially early in the year, a very, very part-time player, a specific role of a player early on. I think his role will start to ramp up a little bit as October gets here, as November gets here. And then I think by the time December and January, they're going to unleash him. And that is what I am starting to think is going to happen with James Cook. Am I nuts? No. You're not nuts at all. There's a I'm, I'm trying to look it up hot now because we did not plan on this discussion. Um, but um, I, I agree with everything you said. First and foremost, I think the rookie wall is a great, great point that I will highlight first and foremost it is the rookie wall is something that I feel like a lot of uh, fans out there just don't consider when they get these brand new toys through the draft and everything. And they just like, oh man, they're, they're going to have an incredible 17 game season, all of this, whatnot. It's like, yeah, especially as the running back at the running back position, as you said, like if you just get them out guns a blazing early on, like they could easily just flame out come week 14, 15, 16. They've never played as hard and long of a season like this in their life. They will get tired. They will have dead legs, you know, whatever you want to call it. And it just, they won't have that pop when you need them to have that pop the most. I think the reverse situation of, you know, don't give, don't give teams tape. Don't let them know what you have up your sleeve. 
you know, call them the halftime adjustment, if you will. You know, he, I think that was a great, great point you made. It's if digs and knocks aren't working and, you know, Gabe Davis is just getting his, you know, four five, six catches, you know, with great, you know, work on the edge and whatnot. And you're dinking and dunking. You're trying to figure scrap by. Right. And then it's like, if things are not working later in the year, when you really need to grind out a result, let's call it. Maybe James Cook is that guy you kind of like look at, give the nod and be like, yeah, let's just pull out this for five, 10 snaps and let's see what we can do out of, you know, this drive. We're going to give them four plays spread out, you know, and this is really what's going to change the dynamic because the defense is really locking us down with what we like to normally do. Something of that nature. That would make total sense to me. The the player that's going to come to mind, and I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up this point with this, the player that comes to mind that kind of backs up your example. Okay. It's not for play style because they're identical and things of that nature, but they would almost confirm what a great idea, let's call it, that you are coming up with in utilizing James Cook. The player that I'm going to bring up, and it's going to sound weird, is David Johnson. So David Johnson was also, I believe, drafted in the third round, ironically enough, too. But David Johnson is a guy that his rookie year, he did not really see any game time for a good chunk of the season, like early on, especially like I think he would get special teams work here and there. Like he would return kicks. If um, our returner went down, uh, the Cardinals return art returner, the Cardinals returner went down. And then um, once in a while, they just put him in certain packages. And, and by the way, he would pop, you know, there was a saints game uh, that I recall from that season his rookie year that he just like took this little swing pass and just chugged all the way down the sideline. And that was like one of his three touches of the game. So all of a sudden, then injuries stacked up a little bit. So he was forced into a role of, you know, just the guy. Well, it kind of gave everyone the flash of what was to come in that 2016 season, which everyone remembers David Johnson because 2017, everyone was taking him as a top three pick in fantasy drafts because he rattled off, you know, 1,200 rushing yards. And I believe he came just short of 2,000 total all purpose yards because it was like almost 900 receiving yards. Um, it's that's the perfect example of why you don't and Bruce Arians had a similar philosophy of what you're doing. It was like, you don't rush rookies in because you need them to get comfortable and things like that. And also remember they're kind of on a pitch count. Like they, they are not used to the length of the NFL season and they're not used to the grueling grind that is the NFL. So you want to ease them in, you want to make them comfortable, give them limited stuff, you know, here and there, whatnot, so that they are getting comfortable with the team and the, the offense and whatever might be going on and then unleash them when it matters. Unfortunately for that Cardinals team with David Johnson in 2015, like it didn't work out the way they wanted because of just a mass amount of injuries, but hopefully the bills wouldn't be in that kind of predicament. And you would have then in the money months of late December. And then obviously the real money months being, you know, January, and then hopefully going into February, you have this, beast of a changeup, this unbelievable halftime adjustment that is James Cook. And it's like, oh man, Singletary's not working on the ground. And then, you know, we're we're scraping by, you know, dinking and dunking and things and whatnot, but they're sitting up on the line, whatever. It's like James Cook's the kind of guy that if a defense is really coming up to the line, they cannot do that versus an individual like him. Like that's you can't do that first. If you have a linebacker with the entire defense and this safety is kind of creeping up a little bit, lined up on a cook you're done. It's over and they have to respect it. And that could open everything up. And that's when you really want that to happen. Of course, in January, in February, when the games truly matter, 
So yeah, great points. I think that was an awesome thing to kind of bring up here to kind of emphasize. I, I do think there's a lot of people that want James Cook to be the guy coming out the gates. And it's like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes a little bit. We have some guys in this, you know, part of the offense that are okay and things, and that's okay for now and ease him in. And let's make sure he's not hitting that wall and just kind of a shell of himself come January when we really are probably going to need him here and there to explode and give us those big plays we know he can. And part of the equation of him becoming the guy full time, which we both agree is not going to be anytime imminent, is he needs to show that he can be a pass protector in the backfield for QB 17 because we can't have Josh Allen taking hits. Uh, Zach Moss is the best pass protector on the team. Devin Singletary got a lot stronger in that regard last year. All right, Luca, with this game against the Colts coming up on Saturday, my approach with the running back position would be Devin Singletary. You can have the afternoon off, sir. Um, James Cook, I do want to see you out there. You are a rookie. Let's just get you some NFL action. You know, a couple series here and there. I would expect Zach Moss to start the game, play a series or two, hand it over to James Cook. He'll play a series or two. And then it's going to be a mix of Duke Johnson. Maybe Taiwan Jones gets a carry. That feels a little bit unnecessary. We know he's not here to be a running back. And then a lot of Raheem Blackshear. How would you handle the running backs in this game coming up against the Colts? I think that is 1000% perfect. I think that game plan going into the Colts game would be money and I have nothing else to add. I think that was perfectly said. That's exactly how I'd like to see it and hopefully how it's done. Well, good. We don't have anything to argue about because I think this next position, we may have some disagreements because there's just a lot to talk about going on with wide receivers for the Bills. We know the top two, Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. They have been absolutely outstanding so far through camp. But the first thing we wanted to talk about coming into camp was who was going to take that slot role. And so far, it has been the Isaiah McKenzie show. He has been getting rave reviews. In fact, during a Sean McDermott press conference last week, he even let it slip that Isaiah McKenzie may have to be prepping for a more full-time role which, you know, who knows if Sean McDermott meant anything by that, but with Jamison Crowder missing the first week and a half of practice, he is back practicing now. Isaiah McKenzie got to practice exclusively with the ones. It is worth noting that even with Crowder back, McKenzie has been with the ones in that slot role. We still have Jamison Crowder. And then another story out of camp is fifth round rookie receiver Khalil Shakir has just been wowing people with his ability not only to play the slot which we knew he could do but to win on the outside Luca we talked about this time and time again this offseason and I almost want to pivot to you on this point here we talked about how it was vital for the Bills to find an answer at the backup boundary receiver because if something happened to Stefan Diggs or Gabe Davis knock on wood that doesn't happen it could be a situation where you're looking at Jake Kumaro coming in as that next guy who can play outside. Obviously, you have guys like Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie who could do some things with out there. But when you look at body style, more ideally would be someone like Kumaro. What Khalil Shakir has been able to do so far through training camp, let's keep that in context, has it eased your concern about that backup boundary receiver role? Um, let me go as far as saying it has confirmed my hope that he can replicate that kind of performance on the outside, on the perimeter that he showed even while he was in college as well, that versatility to be literally anywhere in the offense and be a legitimate weapon. 
Um, as you prefaced, it is training camp. And I feel like we're going to say that five more times tonight, right? But yeah, the ability of which in the, in the, the scope of work and every, the body of work, that's a better way. I don't know why I said scope, the body of work of which he has presented us already has really confirmed the hope that I had that he could be that guy because yes, I would like, I would like to believe that he is that backup need on the perimeter more so than Kumaro. Kumaro does a great job at what he does his job to be. That is not being a legitimate perimeter wide receiver, not hating on Kumaro. It's just, that's really not why he's on the roster. Um, yeah, it's, it's been nice to see. It's, it's kind of that it's kind of Shakir's honestly been blowing my expectations away with some of the plays he's been making as well, but it's really nice to know that you really seem to have hit on something and it's even going to potentially pay more dividends than you think. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I just hope that it's not just a training camp flash kind of situation. And he really can turn this into a reliable ability to show that on game days and whatnot going forward when called into action to play that style position. Like it's, it makes me feel good. It, it, as I said, confirms the hope. So I'm feeling really good. But again, it's training camp, so let's see where it goes from here. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about Khalil Shakir. Not only the training camp reports, but you remember back to the draft, it was almost universally accepted that the Bills got great value by the draft Knicks for getting him in round five. He was a guy that I know Joe Marino said the Bills could have taken with their third round pick, and he would have thought that was good value. We know Brandon Bean said he would have taken Khalil Shakir with the fourth round pick that they used to move up in the first round to take Kair Elam. So when you see this, it is confirmation, at least to this point, that he's a guy that can potentially help you. And that's huge. Another guy that has been stashed on the roster for the last couple years, on the last two years to be exact, and has really not had a chance to show what he can do due to injury is Isaiah Hodgins. And so far, reports for him out of camp has been somewhat up and down, but it seems like it's more up recently. I'm very excited to see what Isaiah Hodgins can do in a preseason setting. To me, he is on the outside looking in on that 53-man roster, along with a guy like Marquez Stevenson, who unfortunately had a injury this past week. It sounds like he's going to miss multiple weeks um, with what they're calling a lower body injury. But Luca, in the case of Marquez Stevenson, you never want to say an injury is a good thing, particularly for a young player that's trying to make his way in the league. From the Bills' standpoint, if they still think there is juice to squeeze out of this player, room to grow, something to develop, unfortunately, even though it sounds gross to say, him being hurt actually helps them keep his rights because they can put him on injured reserve, not take up a roster spot with him because I do believe he also would be on the outside looking in and they can potentially buy themselves an additional year to develop this player. That's obviously a long way down the road. Maybe he is back in time for the regular season. I think he has a very, very uphill climb to make the roster. It would really, in my opinion, have to be something where he can show he is the best kick and punt returner on this team, which is going to be hard to do when he can't even get on the field for the next couple of weeks. When it comes to wide receiver for this first preseason game, Luca, I have no interest in seeing Stefan Diggs or Gabe Davis on the field. I think they'll both be in street clothes. I'm ready to say I think Isaiah McKenzie should also be in street clothes, 
We know what he can do. If Josh Allen's not out there, if the starting offense isn't out there, I'm fine with Isaiah McKenzie taking the day off. Uh, Jamison Crowder, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. Um, If he doesn't feel ramped up enough um, from his injury or his soreness to get into an actual game, I'm fine with him taking the, the weekend off, although I think it might be in his best interest to get out there and start showing us what he can do. I really want to see the starting outside receivers for the Bills in this game against the Colts, Khalil Shakir and Isaiah Hodgins. For Hodgins, what an opportunity to take himself from the outside to potentially the inside track to make this roster. And then for Khalil Shakir to show the coaching staff that he can be that guy that can win on the outside. And then in the slot, you'll have a mix of guys like maybe Jamison Crowder, maybe Tavon Austin, Tanner Gentry, you know, the list goes on and on. And by the time you get to the fourth quarter, it'll be guys like Neil Pau. Um, we'll see Jake Coomer, I'm sure, mix in. But that's what I would do. Flip a coin on Jamison Crowder. Sit Davis, Diggs, McKenzie. That's my plan for the wide receiver spot. Yeah, the big three at this point is Diggs, Davis, McKenzie. I'm not playing them against the Colts. I'm not suiting them up against the Colts. I'd be shocked. Obviously, Diggs and Davis, I would honestly be surprised if they're suited. McKenzie is the one that it wouldn't surprise me if he's suited up, but he's not going to have any sort of serious role. I mean, yeah, I, realistically, I don't think they will. Um, I hope they won't, especially with, you know, McDermott saying that he should kind of be expected to have a bigger role and just a legitimate, you know, starting role of a situation, you know, things of that nature. I'm with you. I, you know, you're going Shakir, you go Hodgins, Kumaros might even get out there earlier than you mentioned him, things of that nature. Right. And then you're going Austin in the slot. You know, you're going to put Pau, uh, you know, out of BYU. Was, you're just going to do in this hodgepodge thing with all of those guys. How you play them, I don't really care. I'm excited to watch Shakir in a game setting, um, seeing if he can really, like, it would be fascinating to me. The thing that I'm, I'm going to be fascinated with is seeing where Shakir lines up, like, say, his first three snaps on the field. Where is he lining up? Is it all three different spots? Is it primarily on the outside? Is it primarily in the slot? Where is he going to be? That's kind of what I'm going to be looking at because, to me, when you have someone like him in a preseason game, what you're trying to look or what you're trying to do, I feel like, is put him in a spot that he might be called into when the games actually matter and you're trying to make him comfortable in that spot. If it's all over the place, to me, that tells me they're very comfortable with moving him around and trusting him or want to see what he can do all over the field. Be called to do whatever it is they need out of him. And um, that's kind of what I'm going to be looking at with the wide receiver. Beyond that, yeah, it's how you said it, right. The big three, sit them. The rest of them, Give me the hodgepodge. Let's see what they can do, you know, and uh, go from there. And then just put a little bit of a spotlight on Shakir and see kind of where he's lining up and then what he does. Let's talk about tight end. We know Dawson Knox is going to be the starter. They brought in OJ Howard to be a high end tight end number two. So far through training camp, we really haven't heard much about OJ Howard being any kind of dynamic weapon in the passing game. You have heard terms used like stiff. You know, maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt, learning a new offense, playing a little slow, just trying to get the scheme down. Uh, But you have been hearing that he is a fantastic blocker. Either way, Howard is locked in as the tight end number two on this team. After that, you have a mix of guys like Quentin Morris, Tommy Sweeney, and Jalen Wedemeyer. 
And um, what you've been hearing from guys like Joe Biscaglia and Matt Perino is that Quentin Morris is probably even better than Tommy Sweeney at this point, which is disappointing because I know Tommy Sweeney is a guy that's very popular in the locker room, but I just don't know what he offers you as far as a player at this point. These preseason games are going to be absolutely huge for guys like Quentin Morris, Tommy Sweeney, and then Weidermeyer at the tight end position. As far as how I would handle the Bills um, in game number one, Dawson Knox obviously sit on the sideline. OJ Howard, if you want to throw him out there for a series or two, fine. I'm not really going to fight you either way. But to me, let's get on with Quentin Morris and Tommy Sweeney. Let's let's give them a chance to compete for that third tight end spot because with the flexibility of Reggie Gilliam and with what I think OJ Howard and, and Dawson Knox are going to be able to do for this offense, I'm not convinced this is a team that has to keep three tight ends. If you factor in the fact that Reggie Gilliam will be here as a quote unquote third tight end along with his role as fullback. So to me, it's not just Quentin Morris competing against Tommy Sweeney for that third tight end role. It's both of them trying to prove that either of them deserve a shot on this roster. I think one of them, if they don't make the roster, would be on the practice squad. Um, But as far as how I handle this preseason game, Luca, I would start Sweeney get Morris some run, get them both on the field quite a bit. These are what preseason games are for, for guys like Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris to prove they belong in the NFL. Yeah, it's this preseason game and probably the entire preseason is going to be, it's not even necessarily a battle of Quentin versus Sweeney. You know, it's not going to be a a battle between those two for one roster spot. This might legitimately be more about these two players and uh, what's his name out of Texas A&M? They're, they're kind of fighting to see if they're even worth rostering for a third true tight end on this roster. That's kind of how I even more look at it. I think the point about two tight ends, you have you know Knox and Howard. They're pretty much, I mean, it's not pretty much. They are locks. You have Gilliam. Obviously, we just extended Gilliam. He's going to be making the team, and he does have that versatility when it comes to fullback slash tight end. He knows his job. We all know what his job is. That's kind of that quote unquote third tight end option. It's like, okay, can Quentin Morris or Tommy Sweeney do something in this preseason to make the staff go, yeah, we should roster three true tight ends and then have Gilliam in our back pocket to do whatever he is capable of do when called to do something. That was a lot of do's. Um, that's kind of more what I, it, there's not an open position that is being competed for. It's kind of a, can you manufacture that position or that need for that third tight end? And what are you going to do in this preseason to do that? So that's kind of where I look at it. I would be very okay. Not seeing Knox and Howard this game, you know, I, as you said, just let them be Howard, whatever, but I'm even more of a, especially if he's kind of looking clunky, we'll call it. I'm okay with resting him. Like, I don't need, I'm not in the kind of mindset where it's like, oh, he's looking rough. Let's make sure we play him and see if something changes. It's like, hey, maybe he's just not at 100%. Maybe he's just whatever. You don't want to just then throw him into a game where he's going to be getting hit. It's like, rest him, get him a little more comfortable, make sure he can actually be at a true 100% and it's a little smoother, and then maybe give him a drive or two to see if things get better or whatnot. So sit those two out, have Morris and Sweeney and Wiedermeyer out there. And just see if one of them can show some flashes, show something that make them be worth rostering a third true tight end on this 
on this team. But like, I, I don't see that happening personally, but that's what this three game preseason should be for those three guys. We are absolutely aligned there. I, I am with you. I don't think there is going to be a third tight end, but that's what preseason's for. Prove us wrong. Let's talk about offensive line, Luca, because to me, the biggest story of training camp so far has just been the wrath of injuries on this unit. I'd start off obviously with the Roger Saffold rib injury, and then Spencer Brown has not been practicing because of his back injury. Two updates on Sunday, though. Roger Saffold was activated off of the NFI list and did return to practice on Sunday. He did individual work, did some team work, but not any contact. And then also Spencer Brown was activated. And well, he's been active, but he hasn't been doing any team. He finally did team today on the second team. So he did some one-on-ones. Obviously he struggled with that. He went against Von Miller and apparently it wasn't pretty, but you know, there's a lot of guys that at full health that have been practicing for three months could go against Von Miller and it wouldn't be pretty. Uh, We're going to talk about Spencer Brown in a second, but one other thing I want to point out, Mitch Morse had a veteran rest day today. No harm, no foul. That happens. Interestingly enough, Luca, Ryan Bates took center reps with Morse out Sunday. I think that's interesting because last year it would have been John Feliciano coming in to be backup center if Morse is out. If Bates becomes the backup center, I like that because that's a guy with experience in this offense. But what's more interesting to me is with Bates out of his natural position of right guard, it was Bobby Hart taking the right guard starting reps. Luca, we're at a point now where Cody Ford is going into his fourth year. Bobby Hart is essentially a meme when it comes to Bills fans. And he is beating out Cody Ford for the top interior depth player on this team. Obviously, there's guys like Tommy Doyle, uh, Greg Manns. You know, they're going to factor in. I don't think Bobby Hart has any kind of lock for this roster. Let's have a very quick Cody Ford conversation. Is it just time to give up on him? Yes. If Bobby Hart is beating you for time with meaningful reps, you're done. I'm sorry. Like I, 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 I'm just going to be blunt about it. It's unfortunate. The promise of which Cody Ford had going back to his rookie season and everything being drafted. It's gone. Like we have seen enough. There's enough tape out there. Yeah. It's, and now Bobby Hart is beating you for meaningful snaps. Like, yeah, no, you're, you're done. Unfortunately, just to be really quick about it. Yes. In my mind, it's over. Like, I, I don't know if, I don't know what other reason you would have for doing such a thing. If you're sliding your guy over and then having him being replaced with a dude who just kind of goes into NFL systems as a 90 man roster kind of guy, and he is going to be cut probably, you know, not even on the last day of cuts and you, you can't start over this person when it matters. Yeah, it's over. It, you're done. You're, you're sorry, Cody Ford. It was a good run. See you later. My one hope for Cody Ford, and I don't want to say it was a hope, but my one, I'll leave this door open for him was I trust Aaron Cromer. I think he is one of the top offensive line coaches in football and all off season. I had been thinking if Aaron Cromer thinks he can unlock something in Cody Ford, I will allow myself to believe that could happen because of how much I trust Aaron Cromer. 
the fact that Bobby Hart on a day when Ryan Bates is playing center can't even get on the field at right guard. It's it's time. I I know there was some speculation that maybe the Bills can try to trade him, cut him, whatever. It's a waste of time at this point in time. Uh, get Greg Van Roten out there. Get Greg Mance out there. You know, Ike Botker obviously is hurt. Heck, Jordan Simmons, who they signed two, two weeks ago, get him out there. If Bobby Hart's playing over Cody Ford, it's time. Cody Ford, it did not work out. It's a second round pick that the Bills did not win on, unfortunately. All right, another guy who was back this week, we did mention it, was Spencer Brown on Sunday. And Luca, I want to have a larger Spencer Brown conversation because it's important to know the context of his rookie season. Last year, it was starting the season off with Deion Dawkins at left tackle and Daryl Williams at right tackle, and Daryl Williams did not do well. Um, It was the fourth or fifth game into the year, they shifted Daryl Williams into right guard, and then they moved um, Spencer Brown into the starting lineup at right tackle, and he was excellent for about three or four games. And then he kind of tailed off a little bit, and he had to move over to left tackle for a couple games that um, that Deion Dawkins missed. Um, that did not go well, but that's okay. He he wasn't training at left tackle during the regular season. He was training for right tackle. That is what it is. But then at the back end of the year, his numbers did tail off when you look at sites like PFF. And by the end of the year, he actually had similar grades to David Quisenberry. I'm going to give you credit, Luca, because the day after the Bills signed David Quisenberry, we had our Bills chat show, and you said that that gave you hope, relief. We had talked about the need for a third tackle on this roster. We didn't want to rely on Tommy Sweeney to be that guy, or excuse me, Tommy Sweeney, Tommy Doyle to be that guy who comes in if something happens to Dawkins or Brown. Quisenberry, who started for the Titans last year at right tackle, definitely ease that burden. But now looking at it, Spencer Brown dealing with a back injury has missed all of training camp up until this point. He still is not able to get out there for teamwork. And I feel like as players right now, not, not trajectory because Spencer Brown is a second year player. So you would think you would hope his trajectory is higher than a David Quisenberry. I think as players right now, they are actually very similar. And I'm wondering, Luca, that the longer this goes on with Spencer Brown not able to do teamwork or at least first team offense teamwork, is it going to get to a point this preseason where the Bills say, hey, we have a game coming up against the LA Rams who have a tremendous defensive line. Spencer Brown, we need you to get ready, but we're not going to force the issue. We have a solid option here in David Quisenberry. And at what point does it become okay, this is David Questenberry's job. Spencer Brown, when you're ready to roll, you can challenge him for that job, but we're not going to force you into the lineup just because you had that job at the end of the year. I think offensive line is a position group where you want the same thing over and over. You want to have the same five guys doing their jobs week in, week out. So in this circumstance, pulling it back now to Spencer Brown versus Quisenberry, if Spencer Brown really can't go week one, if if they feel like, hey, you're not at 100 percent or, hey, you just haven't looked that great. Maybe it is because you haven't been 100 percent up until the week of whatever the case may be. And they start to go with Questenberry to me. That is the sign of, OK, 
it's not there. I don't want to speak ill of Spencer Brown. I love the trajectory and I love how you put it. The trajectory of Spencer Brown is great. And I hope it to be a much higher level that is of Quisenberry. But of this season, you want to have a constant with your five guys. And if week one, we roll out with Quisenberry, it's his probably to lose at that point. And then if he then falls off in a similar situation of what happened last season, it's nice to know then that Spencer Brown is someone that hopefully at that point in time got healthy, is looking better in you know practice week in, week out, and can step in and maybe regain that form that you mentioned last year in that like you know month, month and a half stretch, whatever it was, that um, gave us promise and gave us hope that we do potentially have that right tackle for a long time going forward. Um, it's not necessarily all Spencer Brown's fault. The injury definitely, I think, is what has accelerated this problem. I do, I do recognize and agree and understand everything you mentioned. His numbers and metrics did kind of fall a little bit at the tail end of last year. It's, it's all documented. It's out there. Um, but again, he, he was a rookie. He was a rookie that was thrusted into that position, excelled initially. It was almost like that you had that real high, and then it's like reality kind of like settled itself. You regression to the mean, right? Like he 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 just came back to that baseline that you would kind of more or less expect from a younger offensive lineman in this league. It's just he started out so well. And it's like, oh, it's kind of disappointing to see that. But at the same time, it's like, hey, I mean, you kind of would expect it also at the same time with it, you know, pull the name off, pull the team affiliation off, just rookie right tackle. It's not exactly something that would shock the general fan, I feel like. So in the context of this season, I think if Quisenberry is starting week one, that is the official stamp of, hey, this is his job to lose at that point. Because I do think the most important thing, as I pointed out initially, is continuity and having the same five guys on that offensive line week in, week out. And if everything's clicking and everything's working, you are not going to change something like that just because it's like, oh, but we do have this young right tackle that we hope to develop and improve. It's like, no, you keep the good thing rolling. This is not a team where we're trying to develop a bunch of young guys and hopefully in two, three years really threaten for that Super Bowl. It's like, no, 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 no. We're trying to do that literally this season. So yeah, Quisenberry, if it's his, if it's his job week one, He's not losing it unless he just really disappoints. And then the good news for Spencer Brown is hopefully by then he is fully healthy, much more comfortable and could step in and kind of regain that right tackle role. Who knows? But yeah, I think week one is going to be huge. Whoever starts week one, whoever is that guy week one, that is the guy for the foreseeable future. Like of this season, of course, I'm not talking beyond the season, just this season. He is the guy. I don't think you want to kind of just change it just because. That seems ridiculous to me on the offensive line. I am with you 100%. This is not a situation where like if Tredavious White is not able to go week one and they're like, well, sorry, Trey White, uh, this is Dane Jackson's job and now you have to prove you can take it from him. No, when Trey White's healthy, Dane Jackson or Kyer Elam or whoever they decide is not starter worthy is coming off the field. I don't think Spencer Brown has done enough to prove that. I agree with everything you've said about continuity. And I do think if I had to be a betting person today, I would say when the Bills open up against the Rams on opening night that the Bills' right tackle will be David Questenberry. We know Sean McDermott is open to in-season changes. He proved that last year. I will say 
if this scenario plays out, I know there will be some disappointment, at least initially from a segment of Bills fans like myself, who were very excited from what we saw in Spencer Brown last year and thought we hit a home run with a third round pick. All of that is still out there. Not being the starter week one behind a guy like David Questenberry, who's probably an average-ish starter in this league. Let's not boost him up to be more than he is. It doesn't mean that Spencer Brown still can't be a very good, if not great player in this league. It just means that at this particular time, he is not the best option for right tackle, whether it's because he's not fully healthy or he just hasn't been playing up to the standard that the Bills are expecting at this particular point. But the good news is one of the biggest issues we have had with this team depth-wise is that swing tackle. And if Questenberry becomes your starting right tackle, Spencer Brown as your swing tackle, I feel a lot better, a lot better about your swing tackle situation as the guy that can go in and play for Deion Dawkins or Questenberry if they get hurt. And I feel like I would sleep like a baby at night knowing that's a situation. You would need Questenberry to play well at right tackle for that. And you would need Spencer Brown to get fully healthy. Let's talk about the preseason plan, Luca. I have zero interest in this first game of seeing Deion Dawkins or Mitch Morris out there. I would be very surprised if Roger Saffold suits up for this game. Um, I know there's maybe a segment of fans that think he needs to knock the rust off. He hasn't been practicing much. Look, this is a veteran player. He doesn't need to get into a preseason game to get things down. Let's get him fully healthy and ramp him up for game number two or any game, obviously, that Josh Allen is going to be out there for preseason. Let's not mess around with this week. That's a perfect Cody Ford spot. Unfortunately, with the situation with Greg Mance playing with a brace on his arm, you might be forced to play Ryan Bates this week at center, and maybe that's why he lined up there on Sunday. I would be very hesitant about that. I don't care if this game goes poorly from a center snap exchange. This is preseason. I don't care if Greg Mance has a brace on his arm. If he can play, put him out there. We don't need to risk our starting right guard in a preseason game just because he's the only person that can play center. Find somebody else that can do that. And I would not play Dawkins. I would not play Morse. Um, I probably honestly would not play Questenberry. Uh, Spencer Brown won't be ready to go from a health standpoint. You wouldn't anticipate or Saffold based on where they're at, you know, early on in the week. So really the starting five that we anticipated plus Spencer Brown slash Questenberry, I would think none of those six would play with the outside chance that maybe Ryan Bates has to start the game at center just because they don't really have anybody else at that position. Luca, how would you handle the offensive line situation in this game against the Colts? Yeah, if there's one if there's one area kind of that really highlights where injuries can still happen like they do any other game, you know, in the preseason, that is the trenches. And that is where offensive line just, you know, get an ankle rolled over or any, you know, one of those just classic like incidental mistaking just bad place, wrong time, whatever it may be, misplaced foot. Do not risk anyone that actually is a legitimate starter at whatever position just because you want to worry about, a, you know, having a center. Right. As, as you put it, like, do not play Bates. Just kind of find someone to do the job that you don't actually care about come week one. Like, I don't want to say it like that because you care about everyone, but they're not taking meaningful snaps. They're not being on that offensive line. Like, let's let's relax here. I think and and to the point, like it's OK, we said don't play Allen unless absolutely everyone is ready to go on that offensive line. Well, if you're already benching Feliciano and Morris, what's the point of playing any other of those guys? Anyways, 
having, you know, Bates out there and then a, a bunch of backups, you know, your heart and whatnot, like you're asking for a disaster. Like that's not who you want to have building the offensive line with. And why would you just throw one or two out there just because like, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah. If one is sitting, if two are sitting, they all are sitting like, that's okay. You have your injuries as you highlighted and you have these two starters like Morse and um, uh, what you call it Dawkins that you are not going to be playing most likely. So why would you play anyone? Like that's four of the five slash six. Like what are we? Yeah. Don't, don't play any of them play all the other guys who cares about the result, who cares how the offensive line play really goes then at that point and just get out of the game healthy with anyone that means anything to this roster. That's how I feel about this. We mentioned before with receiver that Khalil Shakir and Isaiah Hodgins were two guys that we were really excited to see extended playing time this week. I'm going to throw Tommy Doyle into that mix as a guy that I want to see almost play every snap in this game. There's no reason not to. He's a guy that came out of the draft fifth round pick last year, a world of talent on the same athletic skill level as a guy like Spencer Brown, but he was more raw to me. He was the guy that before this injury with Spencer Brown and the signing of Questenberry, he was the guy that we were hoping could be that swing tackle. And there's still hope out there. Although I'm very glad that the bills aren't currently in a situation where they're counting on it. These are the games, especially where you're not playing your starters. You wouldn't anticipate Let's see what Tommy Doyle can do. Get him out there every single snap at left tackle. Let's see how he holds up. If you want to move him to right tackle, fine. If you want to move him to interior, I get it. But I want to see Tommy Doyle on an island blocking. I know the guys on the inside of him aren't going to be great. Hey, spoiler alert, the Colts are probably not going to be playing Buckner out there either. So it's not like they're going to be blocking some blue chip players. I want to see what Tommy Doyle can do in extended action. He is somebody that I have definitely circled in red ink as somebody that I'm keeping two eyes on during this first preseason game. Let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, Luca, and talk about the defensive line. Um, you cannot say enough about the reviews of Von Miller. It seems like every day he is getting another beat reporter to talk about how awesome he is. Uh, another guy with getting rave reviews is Ed Oliver talking about how he is unblockable at times. And then after that, you're talking about trying to figure out who of the three young defensive ends on this roster is going to step up and be that rusher opposite Von Miller to really put pressure on offenses. We're talking about Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, and Boogie Basham. Last year's first round pick, last year's second round pick, and two years ago, second round pick in AJ Epinesa. It sounds like with the reports coming out of training camp that Greg Rousseau has a strong leg up in that competition. AJ Epinesa started off camp strong, Seems like he quieted down quite a bit once pads went on. Boogie Basham has been a little bit more up and down. Sounds like he had a pretty good day on Sunday, but again, that was against Cody Ford. So take that for what it's worth. Greg Rousseau has been the one of that group who has been consistently getting good reports from the beat writers on hand. Luca, in my opinion, looking at the edge situation specifically, I really feel like Greg Rousseau has almost cemented himself into that number one unit defensive lineman to rush opposite Vaughn. We know they're going to rotate anyway. Um, but to me, when you look at how things are going to go for this preseason game, you're not going to play Vaughn, obviously. You shouldn't play at Oliver. Um, I would not play Daquan Jones. I think he's too important for what this team's trying to do. 
And I would understand it if they decided to sit Greg Rousseau for this game. I wouldn't predict it, but I I don't necessarily want to see Rousseau out there for more than a handful of snaps. Let guys like Epinesa, Basham, and Mike Love rush the passer along with, you know, Shaq Lawson, Tim Settle, and Jordan Phillips. I just said a lot there about the defensive line. Um, based on what you've been seeing, what you've been hearing, what do you think about the reviews coming out of camp and how would you approach this game against the Colts? Yeah, Russo has definitely solidified himself to me as the one B opposite of Vaughn. I, I think he's he's been the consistent person to put out there. And just when you're ro- when you're working a rotation, I think you just want consistency. It's a rotation of any position group. You want to make sure you know exactly what you're getting out of them. There's, I've, I've said that earlier this podcast. I've said it before in my life. It, it, it's funny because it's actually been hammered into me out of a different sport. There's like there's a quality in soccer where you always want to know and you're starting 11, you know exactly what you're going to get out of your midfielders or whatever it is. When it comes to a rotation on the defensive line and on this team, you want to know exactly what you're getting. You know exactly what you're getting out of Von Miller. You know exactly what you're getting out of Ed Oliver. And to me, it seems like Epinesa, as you said, quieted down once pads got on, Basham hit or miss, things of that noise. You know, it's like, OK, that's you don't know what you're getting out of that. Rousseau, you know exactly what you're getting out of. Like you saw what he brought to the table last year. It seems like he has been far and away the best of the young bunch. It, it that to me solidifies you. You are the one B opposite of on in the rotation. So, yes, come the game against the Colts probably not going to see I would I would like to see him not play realistically maybe he'll get like a few snaps wouldn't surprise me but this is the kind of game where if you are vital to the team if you are if you know think let's think game situation it's third and long with the season on the line and Rousseau's that guy you want opposite Vaughn to rush the passer and whatnot to lock it down and close out the game. You know, Vaughn was obviously brought in to be the guy to do that, but you need to have someone opposite. Of course, if Rousseau's that guy, you're not playing him week one preseason against the Colts. If at this point in time, that is who it is. You're not playing him. Do not dress him. Whatever. That's my opinion. I'm not going to be surprised if he does dress. I'm with you. I wouldn't predict him to not be playing but I feel confident enough in myself and what it seems like everything is going on to say, I think he is the guy that they want to play opposite of Vaughn, at least when the, you know, the snaps that matter the most, we'll call it because I do like that this, you know, this organization is kept with, we have a rotation on the defensive line. We like to do that. You know, uh, Jerry Hughes had the most snaps out of this defensive line last year. And it was just under 60% of something like that. Like, we always work rotation and I love that the consistency is there, but when the game is on the line, when, when the snaps really mean something, Rousseau is probably going to be that guy. So yeah, probably I, I just wouldn't play him that Colts game and then just let everyone else get out there. I do like your point on Daquan too. Um, he's pretty dang important to what this offense is trying to, or defense, geez, not offense defense is trying to do. So probably wouldn't play him as well and just let everyone else settle and all the other people just do their thing and just pray that no one gets hurt. See what Epinesa and, you know, Boogie Basham and all them can do, but just stay healthy, please, for the love of God. The depth is so important at that position group that, you know, it would stink to have to deal with any sort of injury there. 
they are so unbelievably deep at D-line. It, it's unreal. Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle could start on a lot of teams in this league. Um, you know, Boogie Basham, second round pick, AJ Epinesa, second round pick. I don't know if either one of them at this point have proven that they would be high end starters or even quality starters, but the talent is at least there. Daquan Jones to me is everything we thought Starlatulale was going to be. And he is so vital, particularly for the run defense on first and second down. I have no interest in seeing him out there. I think he's going to be such a huge addition. And one of those additions that we just have not been talking about, but once the game starts, I think the guys like cover one in yards per pass who break down all 22 are going to be highlighting Daquan Jones making a world of difference on this defense. And two guys who are going to feel that difference are Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano at linebacker. If they can be kept clean, they could both have really big years. Let's talk about linebacker now, Luca, because I think we both agree that there's no need to see Edmonds or Milano out there in a preseason game against the Colts in preseason game number one. You want to get them out there for the third game. I can understand that. But with a guy like Milano, who you don't want to call somebody injury prone because injuries can, you know, they can be fluky. But it seems like when Milano gets hurt, he misses multiple games. There is just no reason to throw him out there. And I love the opportunity this provides somebody like a Terrell Bernard, who I think at this point in time is the direct backup to Matt Milano. I do not think we are dealing with a situation like last year with AJ Klein, where whether it was Milano or Edmonds who missed, AJ Klein would come in and be the backup. I think the situation is going to be a little bit different. Joe Biscaglia talked about this on his podcast this week that maybe Terrell Bernard is more of the direct backup to Matt Milano while Tyrell Dotson is the backup to Tremaine Edmonds. I want to see Terrell Bernard and Tyrell Dotson start this game and play a few series. I really want to see what Terrell Bernard can do in coverage. He's been getting rave reviews there. Can he block shed? Can he be somebody that gets off blocks and make tackles in the running game? And then beyond that, you know, after you get to the second, third quarter, it's going to be guys like Balen Spector, Joe Giles Harris, Markwell Lee. If you want to throw Tyler Matikiewicz out there, I get it. He's important on special teams, but you can't protect everybody. Get him some snaps out there, whatever. No interest whatsoever in seeing Milano and Edmonds. And so far from the reviews you've been hearing from camp, you have to absolutely love what you've been reading about Terrell Bernard, Luca. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything you see about him, just I love descriptionary words of flashing and, you know, things like that that make you think he he's sharp, he's on point, he knows his job and he's doing it well. Like I those kind of that's exactly what comes to my mind. And Everything about Terrell, I'm with you. I want to see him lined up, you know, with, I would love to see him honestly play majority of this game coming up and just really see what he can do with an entire, you know, game full of tape and just, you know, opportunity, we'll call it. Can he really be a reliable backup to Milano in that similar style position? I don't have you know, any reason at this point to think that he can't, but I want to see it a little bit more in a game time situation. I'm with you when it comes to the Colts game, you're not playing the two, you know, you're not playing Edmonds and Milano, the rest we'll call them, just put them out there. And I want to see Bernard kind of really just be a mainstay. We'll call it out there in preseason. I want to see what he does with a large workload and, everything you brought up, like what can he do? What, what does it seem like he is going to excel at? What maybe can he work on? Like this is an opportunity where it's like, he has nothing to lose. Give him just the game 
and just see what you can, what you really have here, because we've highlighted in previous episodes too, like if he's looked at as a direct backup to Milano, you know, there's a contract situation with Milano that may come into play, come going into next season in the 2023 season. Is he going to be able to show enough that make that debate a legitimate thing? Or is it just going to ensure that, yeah, we need to make sure Milano's back and do, you know, just continue on our way with this contract that's currently in place. All those questions can be answered if he can like really show you something here in preseason. And I would love to just give him as much workload as possible. I'm uh, Shakir is a guy I'm going to be highlighting. And then this is number two. This is, this is a guy in the preseason that I'm going to want to see what he brings just because it's kind of like I want to see him out there as much as possible, not because, you know, I don't care about him, but because we have the value of, you know, he's not going to be relied upon heavily going into this year. So we have this luxury of what can he do for us in a large workload and see what he can bring to the table here on this roster for, you know, backing up Milano this season, but then even going forward to what is he going to be like? So I'm definitely going to ah, I am definitely interested to watch Terrell Bernard. Another rookie linebacker who gets an opportunity to play this week, you would think is Balin Spector, the seventh round pick. We talked about before on a previous episode that the suspension to Andre Smith really opens the door, gives him an additional six week window or gives some linebacker an additional six week window to prove that they belong on this roster. And for a seventh round pick, a guy like Balin Spector, if he can get in game action and prove that he can hold his own on special teams, that could be the direct path to the roster. So someone like him proving he's good as a linebacker in these preseason games, that would be great. But if he runs down and covers a couple kicks and blows somebody up in the process, that can be huge for his chances of making this football team come cut down day. All right, Luca, let's have a tough conversation because one position that has been struggling in training camp so far is cornerback. Not overly shocking because Superstar Tredavious White has not practiced yet. They, the Bills are saying he is on track, but they're being very vague about what on track means. I'm starting to get the vibe that it seems doubtful that he's going to be out there for opening day. I certainly don't have any inside information on that. That's just the vibe I'm getting that maybe they're not expecting him to be out there. Um, but it has been Kair Elam and Dane Jackson running with the ones. Obviously, Teron Johnson is a separate conversation. He's playing nickel. He's fine. He is not lumped into this conversation. You can write him in stone. But as far as Dane Jackson and Kyrie Elam goes, it seems like it's been up and down roller coaster where one day Kyrie Elam sounds good, and the next day he's bad. Dane Jackson, up and down. But what I find interesting about Kyrie Elam, Luca, is the people who are at practice, and Joe Miller said this on his podcast, is even when he makes a big play, he's kind of grabby in the routes. And there aren't always officials at practice. And Diggs has even been chirping at him and been saying, you know, the, the speculation is that Diggs is saying, hey, this is pass interference. This isn't true defense. I'm worried about Kair Elam how he's going to do an in-game action. And I'm going to pass it over to you here, Lucas, so I can take a swig of water as I'm fighting off this cough. We heard about Kair Elam coming out of Florida, that he could be grabby in routes. Are you concerned that that is the read coming out of training camp, that he's still having a hard time understanding how to cover guys without draping them? Uh, yeah. I mean, how do, how do I put this politely? He, 
he got so used to being able to excel because of his athletic attributes and just being a freak out there and just could kind of make up for his deficiencies in college. And obviously one of those was being grabby. You know, he would kind of, it, it, it almost seemed, well, let's call it a bad tendency um, to just be grabby. It's like, you're not going to get away with that anymore. Um, in the NFL, you're gun- there's all eyes on you. Refs are very tight with all of that. I mean, we know just how much that it seems like they'll call every little ticky tack call there. So if he's, you know, maybe he needs to go to the Bill Belichick secondary school where it's, hey, what uniforms is the opposition wearing? You're wearing that color gloves this week to maybe limit the calls, something of that nature. You know, <laughs> maybe he needs to look into that. But, um, I think it's something that eventually, you know, McDermott and the staff will work on and hopefully Diggs calling that stuff out all the time is going to highlight that to them and make them try to address it sooner. I'm not overly concerned about it. I feel like it's a common thing. And the the weirdest part, too, is I feel like um, a lot of those athletic SEC corners have that tendency. Um, the only reason I say that is because actually a teammate of Kyir Elam, a guy that I also kind of liked, uh, Marco Wilson, who came into the league last year, also with Arizona, uh, second Arizona, uh, kind of pump here. Um, he was athletically gifted, everything like that. He, um, did have other deficiencies, but one of the biggest knocks on him was, you know, very grabby, uh, tried, you know, basically held receivers back so that he didn't lose too much ground on them, even though he had the speed to make it up when needed most of the time. Um, it it definitely hurt Marco Wilson this past season. If you look at his body of work, it just wasn't great. Um, It was just something he had to work at. And eventually down, like I remember, you know, seeing, and you know, we watch you and I watch a lot of NFL. We watch around the league everywhere and watching Marco Wilson early in the season, he was getting flagged for holdings and PIs all the time. It seemed like early on he was making great plays too. Don't get me wrong, but it just seemed like early on he was getting a lot of flags. And as the year progressed, I didn't see that. He also didn't get hurt there. So there was obviously a game stretch where he wasn't even available. But when he was with the Cardinals later in the year, it it seemed to go away. And I think that just shows you that it's a coachable thing. Like you can keep telling a guy and eventually like, I don't know what they're going to have to do with a, you know, Kyrie if it just seems like it's, not working come week eight, nine, whatever it may be, but it's a coachable thing. I think eventually they will be able to get around that. It's not like they're trying to coach him how to get faster or get slower or whatever it may be. They're just trying to tell him like, Hey, you can't be that handsy. You cannot be grabbing the Jersey. These refs will flag that here every time. And these receivers are going to kill you if you do that, because then you're going to get in your own head or whatever it may be. It's definitely something that needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. Nip it in the butt. Do not let it become a habit that will last his entire career. But I'm not overly concerned. I do. People have been also talking about the digs thing, going back to that one more time and not sure what to make out of it. I look at that whole situation, Elam versus Diggs, and all of this as a good thing. Like, Diggs is a. He's enough of a professional that he's not doing this at all in any negative light towards Elam. All of its positive intention. It's he's highlighting it every time like kid don't do that. Whatever it may be, you can't be doing that. Sometimes there's maybe a slap fight going back and forth, you know, after the after the play, after whatever might be happening, jawing back and forth. Whatever it may be, 
Like there's something there, but it's all for good reasons. You know, it, iron sharpens iron. And the only way he's going to learn is if someone keeps pointing out what he's doing. And then eventually, you know, you hope that McDermott and the staff will step in and be like, you got to stop doing this or they'll be able to coach with them. We've seen that this, you know, McDermott, especially and whoever they've been able to get the best out of DBs. And eventually I'm sure they're going to work with Kyrie and just get this all figured out. I'm not overly concerned. I'm not overly worried. Um, I think it's, it's something to obviously keep watching as the season progresses, but I'm not going to freak out over it, you know, right now as we're sitting here on, you know, Sunday, August 7th. Like that's not something I'm overly concerned about. You know, we'll see how things go come September. It can be a double-edged sword with defensive backs because if he starts off his career and he gets a couple holding defensive holding calls early, you get a reputation like that and referees start looking for it. And then those bang, bang plays, you don't get the benefit of the doubt that someone that's more established like a Tredavious White might get. We are a long way from that being his reality. And I want to make it clear that any concerns we have about Kair Elam is not about his ability to become the player that the Bills drafted and to be a starter and a long-term, maybe even future star for this team. This is all about the near future. Um, we we know what Sean McDermott and Leslie Fla- Leslie Frazier do with these defensive backs. They maximize their talents, and I'm still very high on what Kair Elam can be in the future, but this question is very much about is he the best option to be out there on opening day against the Rams? If Tredavious White cannot play, the Bills may not have much of a choice. But one option they have, Luca, is another cornerback they drafted. Christian Benford is getting rave reviews out of camp. Now, he's not like Darrell Revis out there just shutting down people, but the reports you're reading on him is he's getting mixed in with the ones on defense. It doesn't look too big for him. He's not on an emotional roller coaster. If he gets beat, he's going on to the next play and his his head is still in the game. He plays with good body control, plays with good leverage, and he's just kind of a steady Eddie out there, which if you think about what Levi Wallace was in this defense, it wasn't flashy, but you never really had to worry about him getting out of a game. Something happened on Sunday that I think is noteworthy because I think as this training camp has been going on, it's almost been perceived to be a competition between Dane Jackson and Kair Elam for who's going to be that boundary corner opposite Tredavious White. I think if Tredavious White was healthy week one, the Bills would prefer to do what they did with Cody Ford his rookie year, which is... One series, you're on the sideline, Ty and Secchi plays. Two series, you're out there playing, rotation. I think a similar rotation, I don't know how the series would be divided up, where Tredavious White's on one corner, obviously you have Johnson in the slot, and then on the other corner you have Kyir Elam and Dane Jackson essentially rotating where Kyir Elam can go out there and play for a few series and then come off and watch on the sideline. Obviously at some point, one of those guys is going to establish himself as the better player and they would get more playing time. And I think the hope would be it would be your first round pick. However, the reality of their situation is Tredavious White may not be ready. And what happened on Sunday at training camp was Dane Jackson was getting all of the first team reps. Christian Benford was rotating in with Kyrie Elam. 
I don't think this is a situation where fans need to panic. I would look at this as a glass half full that a cornerback you drafted on day three is getting confidence from coaching staff that he can be out there against the ones and get valuable playing time. Luca, can you see any scenario where if Tredavious White's not healthy, the two boundary cornerbacks against the Rams on opening night are Dane Jackson and Christian Benford? Um, I definitely could see it. I think you've brought up things before where this coaching staff has been known not to, you know, overwhelm rookies. You know, they don't like to just absolutely throw them into the fire. Hey, buddy, this is your job. You know, have fun, right? They, They don't do that style coaching. They don't do that style development. So in that regard, there's Dane Jackson been in this building for years knows the defense everything like that they can trust they know what they have in him and then they just work that rotation how you brought it up with Benford and Elam I don't think it's a negative thing either I think that's something that shows you like hey look Elam was a first round pick his trajectory is insane and the hope for what he can become with you know in years to come will be phenomenal But the reality is he's a rookie this year, and now we have this beautiful potential maybe guy that we drafted, as you pointed out, in the sixth round. And if all of a sudden they can trust him to the point to rotate him with a first round pick, there is nothing negative about that. I don't there's no reason to be pessimistic about Elam because he's being rotated with Christian Benford. If everything about Benford has been positive. That's kind of how I look at it. It's not necessarily that Elam has come down to the level of a sixth round pick. It's the fact that there's a sixth round pick that they have found unbelievable reviews on and seen things out of that they can go, you know what? Let's see if we can work a rotation with him and Elam. And then you just have Dane on the other side if Trey is to miss some time. Like, I don't see a negative problem. Like, it's not negative. There's nothing wrong with this. I don't see a problem with it. I think that's only good and almost highlights exactly what the coaching staff wants to do with rookies anyways. So it's like a, it's a pleasant surprise for them. I feel like, you know, they, they have these two rookies that they can kind of rotate through with then a, you know, veteran on the other side that they can kind of rely on while we're in this situation, unfortunately, where Trey white is out for however long he may be. Well, let's talk about the preseason plan for game number one against the Colts. Tredavious White, obviously not going to play in this game. He wouldn't play if he was fully healthy. He's that important, but he's not going to be ready to go by this game. Um, Taron Johnson, I have no interest in seeing him out there. I don't think the Bills will play him this week. I am ready to say, Luca, while I don't think he's a great player by any means, he's a player that the Bills obviously cannot afford to lose. I don't think Dane Jackson needs to suit up this week. Um, He's a guy that... Until Tredavious White comes back, until further notice, he is the number one boundary corner on this team. And in a game against the Colts, preseason game number one, not worth it. We have enough young guys behind him where these snaps are going to be valuable in-game action for them. And Dane Jackson is still a young guy. He's going into his third year. Um, This is more of a compliment to him that I think he's at least at the point where the Bills would be very poorly off if if he had to miss time especially with what's going on with Tredavious White I don't need Dayton Jackson out there to me you start the game off with Christian Benford and um Kyer Elam at the boundary cornerbacks 
And quite honestly, Luca, I want to see Kyrie Elam get a lot of run in this game. I'd be cool if he played an entire half. Same with Benford. I want to see Elam when NFL refs are looking at him, if he can cover or if he gets grabby and gets flagged on things. These are going to be important snaps for him to see. You know, he's probably not going to be going against Michael Pittman. I don't think the Colts are going to play him. But maybe a situation he goes against fellow rookie Alec Pierce, who is a good route runner. And we'll we'll see how he does in that scenario. Um, Elam needs to play in this game. He needs to get NFL snaps under his belt. Let's see how he does. One other thing to point out. We talked about Jackson and Elam struggling. Let's remember, they are going against Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, and Gabe Davis. There are a lot of cornerbacks. Ask J.C. Jackson, who is widely considered one of the best cornerbacks in the league, how hard it is to stop Josh Allen throwing the ball to Stefan Diggs. So this could just as easily be a situation where these cornerbacks are good, but they're going against players who are great. And that just could be, it is what it is. And we are lucky to have those players on our offense. But for right now, I think these preseason games, I am not ready to say that Kyrie Elam should grab street clothes. He's too important. These snaps are very important for him, for Benford. I would expect Cam Lewis to start off in the slot. Maybe Saran Neal. He's been getting some good reviews at cornerback. Um, But, you know, as the game goes on, we'll see some snaps out of guys like Elijah Griffin, Tim Harris, Nick McLeod. Plenty of names to go around there. Maybe even Jordan Miller will get into the mix as the game gets into the fourth quarter. Luca, how would you handle the cornerback situation against the Colts? Yeah, I want. I do want to see Elam with NFL refs on him. I, I want to see I, everything you talked about with him in this game. Give him a half. See what happens. We we need to give him a good amount of you know game film, game time to see. Is this grabbing really a thing? Hey, maybe it's Diggs just being really picky about how he's being grabbed. Who knows, right? Like, let's see what the situation is when it's actually a game with NFL refs that will call anything they see as an infraction. Um, beyond that, yeah, Benford also plays. A, you want to see your rookies play. And then, like, as we pointed out early on in this podcast, you know, the Bills have shown that they want to play rookies in the preseason. That's going to happen. So, I expect them to play. Let's see what they got. It's going to be fun to watch and see Elam Benford and these newer you know, faces out there and see what they can do. Um, the interesting part is you brought up Syrian Neal. Um, it seems like in most places he is listed above Cam Lewis. Now this is early preseason stuff and whatnot, but it seems like he's listed above Cam Lewis as a slot corner behind Taron Johnson. So I am fascinated by that and I want to see that. So if you gave me, let's say the three of Benford, Elam and Syrian Neal, I would be very fascinated with that whole predicament. I, I don't know what we would get out of it, but I'd be fascinated and I would love to see what it could do. Yeah. Just Dane Jackson doesn't need to be dressed up. You know what you got out of him. It seems like, and he's now just a little bit because of the Trey white injury and whatnot. He's a little bit too important that you can't really afford him to get injured in a meaningless game, such as this one week one in the preseason against the Colts. So he can sit. That's fine. You know, get the other guys out there, give them a little more reps and let's just see what we got and go from there. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly how it is. Really hoping the Elam stuff isn't too, too bad, but obviously if you know, week one of the preseason Kyrie Elam's out there and he gets, you know, five defensive holding calls. Well, okay. There's, there's a flag that, yeah, there's a flag that just got raised and it's like, this might be something we need to really curb before you start him in any meaningful game. Well, the other reason you get them out there is 
you get it on film, you see what it looks like. And if for whatever reason you make the determination that Kyrie Elam is just not ready to play meaningful NFL snaps, then maybe you do kick the tires on someone like Joe Hayden that we have brought up several times before on this show. Um, Saran Neal, to me, is the defensive version of Reggie Gilliam. He plays linebacker, he plays safety, he plays cornerback, he plays nickel. He's great on special teams, and he is a guy that you know this regime loves. Um, I don't I don't know that he's ever going to be any kind of like full-time answer at cornerback, but him being on the game day roster, being one of your core special teamers, and being a guy that if you have a couple injuries in a game, can get you out of a game at multiple positions, just unbelievable value there. Let's talk quickly about safety, Luca. I think this one's going to be fairly simple. The biggest story there is Jordan Poyer with the elbow injury, um, hyperextension of his elbow. It sounds like, based on the national reports, that he is um, tracking toward being back by week one. In fact, maybe even a little bit sooner. Uh, that's what Schefter had said. Um, when you so the practice after he got hurt, he was wearing a big elbow brace, and then. At the blue and red scrimmage, he was wearing a much smaller elbow brace. And then I'm trying to remember which which podcast I heard this on today, and I cannot remember. It may it, I'm almost positive it was Mike Catalana on Buffalo Plus said that Jordan Poyer had nothing on his arm today, which I am not a doctor. I don't pretend to be, but that sounds encouraging to me. Um, I feel like Jordan Poyer is the kind of player that if, if he can breathe, he's going to be out there. I'm not worried about anything along that. I don't think there's any real concern he's not going to be available uh, for the Rams game. Certainly no no thought to putting him out there against the Colts in a meaningless preseason game. Micah Hyde is back practicing again. Zero thought in putting him out there against the Colts. Um, right now, to me, it's coming down to Jaquan Johnson and DeMar Hamlin. Is, is Who is going to be that direct backup to Jordan, Hoy- Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde? If one of those guys goes down in the regular season, it sounds like Jaquan Johnson is separating himself in that competition a bit, which is interesting because he's a guy that has not had a chance to play since being on the bills outside of a couple spot starts. When one of those guys was out last year, I believe it was against Houston was the only time he played, but he could be a starting level player that we just never know is good because he's behind two all pros that never miss snaps. So these preseason games are going to be big for guys like Daquan Johnson, DeMar Hamlin, um, Nick McLeod's a guy that has been playing some safety also with cornerback. And, you know, Josh Thomas is going to factor in there also in the safety mix when it comes to this game. You know, no hide, no Poyer. Everybody else is going to be out there, in my opinion. Yeah, no hide, no Poyer. Jaquan and DeMar, get him out there. Go through the other guys that might be there that you want to see what they got, I guess, and uh, get on with your day. You know, hopefully for Damar and Jaquan, you know, one of them can really establish and separate fully and be that backup just in case. Um, But other than that, it's like, yep, I'm okay. Don't play the two all pros. Let's get on with our day. We're getting through preseason at this position and uh, we feel good. Luke, I heard a rumor about you that I need you to clear up. I heard that even though you're a Bills fan, that on third down, when the Bills have the ball this week against the Colts, you're going to be rooting for the defense. 1,000%. Yes, that be- is accurate. Because you want to see the punt god. Is that rumor true? Absolutely. 1,000%. Let me just say that again. Yes. <laughs> uh, get the offense off the field. Let's see what punt god's got. Yes. 
Oh man. Can you remember the last time a punter was this hyped? I guess it would have been Mormon, but he wasn't hyped coming in. He kind of made his, his reputation after a few flashy runs where it was like, man, is the punter the fastest guy on the team? Um, okay. So what's been going on with punting competition in all seriousness? Um, it sounds like based on the reports and look, I cannot say this enough. If you don't subscribe to the athletic do so Joe Biscalio's write-ups of practice are as good as it gets. And I say this with the biggest compliment I could think of. He is an absolute nerd when it comes to kicking competitions. And I love it. He has a stopwatch out. He is tracking hang times. It is everything you would want to know about what's going on with punting. Here's what's been going on. I'm not going to give you all the details from his story because that's unfair to him, but I'm going to give you the gist. When this competition started in the spring in minicamp, it was a situation where Matt Ariza had more kick power. His his kicks were going further than Matt Hawk, but Hawk had more hang time. So it was the line drive versus the hang time. And then the other issue that we all know about is Matt Ariza had never been asked to hold in his career because at every stage of his development, he has been the best kicker on the team. So somebody else has been the holder. So he had to prove he could hold and he had to prove he could develop his hang time. Well, since the spring, the vibe I'm getting from reading Joe Biscalia is one, his holds have been perfect. Every time he's held, even in the blue and red game, Tyler Bass's kicks were right through the pipes. And I will trust Joe Biscalia when he's watching the technique of the hold saying that his holds are perfect. And while he has not caught up completely with Matt Hawk in regard to hang time, he has narrowed the gap to the point where it is not even noticeable and the distance is still way further than Matt Hawk. Luca, I don't think we need to really talk about who's going to play or who's not going to play when you're talking about two punters. I would expect them both to be out there. We can have a larger comp- or conversation about this punting com- um, competition. I feel like, barring something completely unforeseen, that this competition is over. It's it's punk god. Yeah, no, Arise has got it. I, I would be shocked if fellow ASU alum Matt Hawk is still on this roster uh, come week one. But um, yeah, all signs point to Matt Ariza, punt God, just being the guy. Um, I love it. Everything about it. It's fantastic. If an ASU guy could lose his job, you'd want to lose it to someone that could boom a ball out of a stadium with ease, it seems like. So yeah, I that's what I want to watch in preseason. Can Matt Ariza boom a ball out of the stadium? Not probably going to happen, unfortunately, but can he do it? I will be all eyes. That's I might be more hyped up to watch punts than I am to watch Shakir catch the ball. Might be weird to say, probably in the minority on that one, but um, you can't argue with me on it. I, it is exactly what I will be watching. I'm just proud of you that you're going to be watching because when we started this podcast, you told me you refuse to watch preseason games. You you only want to watch quality football. And we'll be honest, when you have guys like Jamarcus Ingram and Tim Harris in there in the fourth quarter, it's not necessarily the best of the best. But you have turned the corner. Obviously, now that we are creating this podcast, you have to watch. But you are committed to watching this game on Saturday. I'm going to watch it once live, and I'll probably go back and watch it again and take notes before we're back on the air Any other final thoughts on this game? Anything else we haven't talked about that you're looking forward to? Or are you just more mad at me that I'm making you watch this game? (laughs) I'm not mad at you that uh, you're making me watch this game. That's that's fine. Um, I'm I'm excited to watch a preseason game now with a little bit of uh, more, you know, focus to it. And I'm, I'm really trying to 
bring energy back to what I do in my personal life because of this. And it's almost giving meaning to a meaningless game. And uh, for that, I am thankful for preseason football being here. Um, I have nothing additional, though. I think we did a great job covering everything. Um, and again, I just want to point out one more time. I am very excited to watch punts on uh, Saturday. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, very excited. Well, the next time we talk, we will have a Bills game to review. It's important to keep in mind what Luca brought up very, very early in the show. There was a summer when Nathan Peterman was a preseason superstar. So keep that in mind as players you've probably never heard of score touchdowns this upcoming weekend and hot takes come flying, not just with the Bills, but with teams around the league. So we would like you to keep it glued here to the uh, built-in Buffalo podcast network all week. We will get you ready for this Bills and Colts preseason game on Saturday and keep you up to speed on everything happening at Bills training camp practices. And Luca and I will be back bright and early next Monday morning with the next episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Podcast.